Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Recorded live. Fragments of Silicon. Now with at least one bonus fragment per week. And welcome to another Tuesday morning edition of Fragments of Silicon. I'm your host, Adam, and in the studio, as always, are Alex, Petty Pan, and Ovio. Yeah, uh, forgive the echo, uh, it's just a, a feature of uh, this week's recording, this session's recording. Uh, anyway, so this is a, an off kilter show. We'll get right to the interview. I blame Bill for the echo. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, this week we are welcoming uh, uh, Jens Berglund. Yeah, that's about right. <laughs> uh, sorry if I put any names here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and Vic Sassi. It's it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. Hi everyone. Hi. Yeah. Hello. Like I said, once again, I apologize if I got your names wrong. International names will be hard. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's begin at the beginning. How did you guys uh, get into making video games or being a part of the video game industry? Good grief! That is such a um, that is a very, very broad question. I mean, I, I, I can give you a very, very quick overview of how I began. Um, my initial background, I'm, I'm from the UK. I was born in England. Um, I worked primarily as a journalist uh, for very, very small local papers in, in Manchester and in London before I, I relocated to, uh, to, to Stockholm, Sweden where I did some work for the Swedish Game Association, worked for a few um, game publications before actually deciding to work in the industry. So I've been on the fringes for a long time, um, but, but several years ago, um, five, six years ago, I actually decided to, uh, to work within the industry and have worked for um, the likes of Stardoll, Paradox Interactive, and, and now Might and Delight. Mm. Uh, yeah, and I started coding as a teenager and always approached making games from the coding side. So I uh, I went to college studying game design and programming and then uh, I got a job at Smart and Delight. So that's my short version. <laughs> uh, 
And what inspired you to make games? I think I think as a studio, you know, we it's it's a collective love for for creativity. Um, from my perspective, I I'm, I'm not exactly one of the creators, but I I oversee a lot of of what we do here. My background has been steeped in games. I. I traveled around an awful lot. I've lived in 13 different countries, and the one stable um, for me was, was gaming. So it didn't matter where in the world I lived in, there was always a console, a machine, some gaming device in my hands. And, and that love of the medium has, has basically just manifested itself in, in, in a desire to, to work within the games industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that was a really <laughs> broad and hard question for me. Uh, was it what inspires me and drives me to make games mm-hmm. for us as a studio? Uh, Ball. Okay. Um, I don't know. I mean, um, making games for me is a bit messing around. That it's a fun thing I do, and um, and then games come out of it, and. I mean, at the studio, we have some artistic um, aspirations with it, and uh, I mean, we take inspiration from nature or art or history, and and ask ourselves, what if we can make a game out of this, and how would this feel in an interactive way? And that's really interesting to me, and a big part of why I do this. It sounds good. It sounds good. Um, right. So. For Vic, you were once a games journalist. Amongst other things, yes. Right. My question here is, what is it like to to cross that divide from uh, games journalist to working at a games uh, developer or games publisher? It's it's a really really interesting question. I think. I think for a long time, I actually enjoyed being on the fringes, so to speak. Um, you know, you, you have to be extremely objective um, with, with the way you look at things, and, and you can obviously be, be critical while still being extremely constructive in, in some of the feedback, the views, and opinions that you shared. But I think my, my main interest had always been to be more hands-on. Um, and my initial background, as well as being a journalist, has, has been business and finance. I worked for, amongst others, Standard & Poor's, uh, Barclays Bank, PricewaterhouseCoopers, which are fairly large financial institutions. Um, so I think being able to combine those um, was always something I was going to do, but the question was how. And once I realized and began to understand you know, the relatively complex structure of what it what it is like to work within the industry. I mean the industry is is so detailed and layered with, you know, the creative aspect but then the business side and obviously everything else that comes in between. I I was able to uh to kind of chart a path um luckily um, with some very, very great and supportive people who were willing to give me an opportunity in the industry. Hmm. That's good to hear. Good to hear. Oh, oh, before you worked at Mike Delight, you worked at Paradox. Oh, That's right. What did you do there, and what games did you oversee? Um, 
I, I worked at Paradox helping to build and set up the business development department they have there. So very similar to what I do here, but essentially building a department that was virtually non-existent from the ground up. Mm. Um, and Paradox, as you know, is fairly well regarded as a publisher as well as a developer nowadays. And this was before the likes of City Skylines and Pillars of Eternity really, really took off. So it was basically working with the exceptional team we had there to identify the gems and, and making sure they they were able to become the um, the big titles they are today. And what attracted you to work at Might and Delight? Well, Might and Delight and I have had a very, very long history. Um, I I have known and... I loved the team for a long time. I, I, um, I actually helped put together one of the um, one of the uh, short story books that came out with Shelter One when it was initially released several years ago. So we've had a relationship there, and when the opportunity to come here, um, especially with me being a huge advocate of the indie game scene, it was a no-brainer, really. Right, and for Yen, um, have you been with Mind Delight uh, the whole time, or have you been elsewhere? Uh, the whole time, because I got an internship here at the end of my third year, and then I, I kind of stuck here. So I've been here for, <laughs> for like one and a half years. Hmm. Oh, neat. All right, so uh, let's talk about the founding of Mind Delight, if you can. Uh, how, how did the studio get started? Um, I, Might and Delight was founded in 2010, and it was hot on the hills of the um, the demise of another studio called Grin. I don't know if you know anything about Grin. They I, they had yeah they had they had yeah. established a reputation for for working on on fairly well known um, yeah. um, IPs um, such as the Wanted series and um, the Bionic. Commando, mm-hmm. and uh, and once that that studio went, you know, dissolved, um, a couple of of former employees to Grin decided they wanted to to go in a completely different direction. That was Anders Westin, who is now the CEO, and Jacob Tuchin, and together they created Might and Delight, and um, well, as they say, the rest is history. Here here we sit now. Yeah, I think it was one guy. To a coder named Bekil Hagfari, uh, who now he he drives his own indie studio, which I've forgotten the name of. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, and, uh, how many people work at Might and Delight now? I, I, Might and Delight is kind of a rolling collective, we would say. You know, so people come in and out all the time, but at the moment we're about nine people. Yeah, it's like it's, it's a lot of part timers and. Uh, interns come and go, and so it's around. <laughs> it's, usually, it's usually around eight people. Yeah. yeah. It's a fair it's size a fair for these dev. We've interviewed bigger, we've interviewed smaller. Um, right, so let's talk about your first game, Pig. Or is that your game? Yes. Yes, it is. All right, uh, so uh, for those who don't know, what is Pig? Well, it's um, it's an atmospheric platformer mm-hmm. with a gravity mechanic, 
Uh, I mean, neither me or Vic was involved in it, so we can just give you really brief answers on PID. Yeah, I mean, as Jens said, we weren't we weren't here, but PID as a game was, you know, was what Jens pointed out—a platformer, visually striking. Um, that really resonated with a few people because of its, how do I put it, difficulty curve. Yeah, it's terribly punishing. <laughs> it's not like the, the games we do now. <laughs> now I would uh, say so. Since, well, the Shelter series is a vastly different series than Pid. It is. I mean, the, the Shelter series was born out of a, a willingness to uh, to come up with something quickly. I mean, once we released PID, PID was not a commercial success. It was, it was, it didn't do well, you know, and we were, we were struggling financially. Um, and, and then the uh, creative director we had at the time uh, came up with this concept, you know, that was, okay, why don't we do this game about a mother badger who has to you know, navigate the perils of the wilderness and try and and, and ensure her kids uh, make it to safety. Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing about that is that from the beginning, Shelter was a was meant to be a really mainstream commercialistic uh, platformer. And then one of the coders made a test and added five little cylinders that followed the big cylinder that was then the player. And everyone fell in love with it, and that's how like the the cub mechanics started. Hmm. So why a bad? Why, a bad? <laughs> <laughs> why, why not? <laughs> uh, it was partly because <laughs> it was very much an economic decision because it, few people have seen badgers, so you can get away with more unrealistic animations, and it's pretty easy to animate because it's not very complex. It's more of a, a bigger lump if you compare it to a lynx. So that was very much more work to to animate. Now, uh, did you work on the first shelter game? No, I didn't. No, none of us did. Okay. Um, well, how long did it take for the first shelter game to get made? I think you, you mean in terms of how long it was in development for? Yes. Yes. I, I, without being specific and Please do not quote me on this, despite the fact that we're in a podcast. <laughs> I would say um, just shy of a year. Yeah, I think the official is eight months. Yeah. That's uh, noted in the, the Gamma Sutra um, article by, uh, by Andreas. Yeah. The post-mortem. Yeah. And did this game do well when it got released? It, it's what you would what you would call having a long tail. I mean, it, it did okay, um, but the game has actually experienced a renaissance since, since the launch of Shelter 2, especially. It's, it's doing quite well. It, it, for, surprisingly, for a game about an animal with very little legs, it's, it's shown itself to have extremely long, long legs and, and long life so far. I guess I'm less surprised at that because survival games are pretty hot right now. I'm like, and honestly, the Shelter series does the Shelter, I don't know, genre or differently than just about every other game I've seen out there. Like, 
you're playing as wildlife instead of a human and trying to survive, say, the zombie apocalypse. You're just trying to survive nature. That is that is true. I mean, there have been other games that have tried and, you know, achieved moderate levels of success. There's the likes of Tokyo Jungle, which was on the PS3. You know, they did quite well. But I think, you know, our main staple is, is the narrative as, as well as the visual style. And I don't think there's anything out there with the kind of aesthetic look we have for, for the Shelter series. Indeed. When I was playing Shelter 2, I noticed how... Unique the art style. That. How, how did that uh, come about? Well, it's um, because Ted was all about shapes and lighting and just flat colors. We kind of turned it around, and everything is in shelter is about no lighting and all textures. So it was a fair bit of experimentation in the start of uh, the shelter project that then led to this very patterned a bit origami-styled visual art style. Hmm. Makes sense. Uh, uh, Again, it's magic by Jacob, our art director. Yeah. Well, uh, have you ever gotten complaints from people because it's so stylized? Have we ever done what? I didn't quite catch that. Oh, uh, have you ever gotten like complaints from people for the graphics being so stylized? Instead of like um, no, I don't think so. I think, if anything, the style has has resonated with with a lot of people. I mean, we've we've I believe won an award as well for its visual style. So, I I don't think that's been an issue, if anything. Yeah. It's a very small minority on Steam forums that um, that c- uh, claim that they want a photorealistic style, but mm-hmm. that would not suit the game and the feel and the gameplay at all. So. I don't think they actually would want that, but that's what they're used to. Right. So, what went right and what went wrong with the first Shelter game? Like, uh, what did you feel uh, like uh, the game excelled at, and what are some areas that it kind of altered your estimation? Uh, I would say that the first Shelter excelled at being a very contained um, and effective game in in the storytelling of this maternal struggle. Um, and the weakest part is the is that it's very linear and it's very simplistic, uh, all because of this really short time, uh, time scale for the production. And, I mean, that is a bit what we thought of when we made Chelsea 2 and had a bit longer time frame that what would we like to do different and things like open world came up and so forth. Mm. Makes sense. And the, what lessons uh, were learned on Shelter that were applied to Shelter 2? Sorry, I didn't catch up. What lessons were learned on Shelter that were applied to the sequel? I'm not sure if uh, a lot of lessons were learned because uh, a lot of... <laughs> now Vic is laughing at me. Uh, but the thing is that a lot of... The people who made Shelter 1 uh, left the studio uh, until Shelter 2 started. So there was very much of a team switch, and I got on uh, a day before Shelter 2 was pitched to the team. So the the things I know about the Shelter project is mainly because I've talked to the remaining old team members and 
uh, MC members who come to visit and so forth. Mm. So things uh, should have been learned, <laughs> but we'll see. Um, I couldn't say myself. Anyway, so did the first shelter game do well enough to, to get a sequel to Shelter 2, something uh, that the studio wanted to do from, like, the time of Shelter 1? I think, I think Shelter 1, you know, was, did okay. Well, it did marginally better than Pit did, you know, which was just about enough to keep, you know, the the heating on in, in the office. Um, but I think, you know, Shelter One, once it was made, was not exactly the grand vision um, initially. So, you know, once once we knew that there was some, some, you know, some money to continue development, it was a chance to expand on the original idea. Um, it, it's 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 a mixture of many different factors, but I would say it's that's that's one of one of the key factors. Hmm. Makes sense. Makes sense. And all right. So, what was expanded in Shelter Two, and what was added, and what was changed? Uh, well, a lot. <laughs> but um, when we made it, we had a very uh, we had the vision of a core that was uh, similar to the Shelter One game, which is the maternal struggle and that the player should feel attached to their cubs. And in other respects, it wasn't as important to keep factors. So uh, we had some some things defined from the beginning, like um, like the open world, like hunting should be a lot bigger because you're higher up on you're more of an apex predator than a badger is. Um, um, yeah, I think that's the um, the main differences. And then we we kept uh, working on the art style. Now, was the links chosen for an arbitrary reason, or was there a specific reason why the animal has changed in the sequel? Uh, it wasn't really arbitrary, but it was it was chosen because of um, that interesting gameplay came to mind when we thought of the links and um, <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. but yeah, uh, well, playing as links is different than playing as a bad obviously. That's it, the food chain, that you're very much, um, you're in a much more vulnerable position as a badger, and I don't know if you guys have played the mountains and know what it's about? The expansion. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, for example, the, uh, you can't do anything but hide from the bird in Shelter 1, and when we made uh, the expansion mountains, we uh, we wanted to make the players able to take some revenge. So the, the eagle will swoop down and take your cub, but you can then hunt it down and kill it. So it's more about being in control, and the world is still threatening you, but you can do something about it because you're bigger and tougher. Makes sense. Makes sense. Right. Uh, and I'll note, a, a lynx is actually smack dab in the middle of the food chain. 
it's a predator, but it can still be prey. Yeah. yeah. And I sort of brings up the logical question, should there be a Shelter 3, would you play, as, say, a full-on Apex Predator? <laughs> I don't think the concept would be as interesting if, let's say, you were a tiger, because um, not being at the very top uh, gives us a way to make the player feel threatened and afraid for the cubs. And if you're just afraid they're going to starve, and then if you get a hunting, you won't be worried. And we want to, to bring that worry up in players so they never feel entirely safe for their children. And, and this is all provided, of course, we decide we even want to do a Shelter 3. Of course, of course. I'm just noting uh, the progression of animals here. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, how much bigger is Shelter 2 in comparison to its predecessor? Uh, oh, I had a good comparison there. Uh, it's one of the open world levels in Shelter is about four levels uh, in Shelter 2, it's about four levels in Shelter 1. So, uh, pretty much bigger. But then you you run faster as well, so it's not uh, as big if you if you compare it to how you move. Um, hmm. Yeah, I noticed that uh, Shelter 2 was pretty big. Yeah, that's good. We really tried the open world to feel like you could go anywhere. Right. And uh, where did the generation system come from? Um, that was specified in the beginning, like a cool feature for a replay, that uh, it would be nice to have a family tree and um, and have the option to play as a cub. Because that was also a thing that would differentiate Shelter 2 from Shelter 1, that uh, we would build a lot more replayability. I can definitely see it, and it, and it gives you uh, a sense to keep playing the game. Yeah, we have some fans who are really bananas and show their, like, 50-generation <laughs> uh, family trees. But, yeah, people seem to have appreciated it. Uh, speaking of the fan base, have you ever gotten, like, people complaining about, uh, you know, the kittens dying? Yeah. I mean, death is something worth complaining about, isn't it, really? Um, I mean, people will always, you know, have something to whinge about or, you know, feel, come up with, be it, you know, credible suggestions to improve the game, but it's it's part and parcel of that world. I don't think Shelter would resonate with as many people as it does if if there wasn't a price to pay for, for surviving in that world. The survival game without any risk is not really much of a survival game, I guess. Exactly. This is true. It's just, you know, I, I have actually people on Twitter complain about, you know, the cat's dying because, you know, cute animals, a lot of attached cats, so on and so forth. Yeah, but guess what happens? I, I think one of the best... I, I think one of the best user reviews we ever got was from someone who... Uh, who installed the game, saw how cute the Cubs were, decided they would never, ever play the game, and gave it a perfect score because they 
they felt so emotionally connected because of the cuteness of the cubs. They thought, nope, I don't want them to die. That's it for me. Great game. Job done. Uh, it's especially harrowing when, when one of the cubs dies, they, they let out a blood curling uh, mule or something like that. Like, you know when the, you know when one of them has been picked off. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, so take us to the development process of this game. Um, what did you have to do uh, coding-wise to make it work again? Uh, that, that's a really big question, but uh, when I started, I had never made an open-world game, so I mean, that was a big challenge because we made all these systems in parallel, and then we were going to make them work with you know, the seasons and the dynamic threats that could appear at different times, and uh, and the events and things. So, I mean, that process to first make all the features and then slap them together in all the levels and make it work with every possible combination, uh, that was like the biggest piece of work throughout the production. Sounds like it. And um, was any, like, code from Shelter 1 to be used, or was this done from the ground up? Um, very little, uh, a few things, but uh, mostly was written from the start. And I mean that's also because the uh, the coders from Shelter One wasn't around when we started Shelter Two, so we looked at the project and salvaged some obvious things. But um, all in all, we we did everything. Hmm. Now, is Shelter Two procedurally generated, or did you actually design the levels? Uh, we have designed the levels. Huh. So the the variable things are like where the prey spawns and where the, where the um, danger spawns and so on. Um, but everything is like placed and double checked. Mm. And is this game built in like UE4 or Unity or uh, one of those middleware engines? Yeah, it's uh, Unity 4. Mm. Uh, was using uh, Unity a challenge for you guys? Um, no, not really. I mean, it's... Um, it has its personality and that's what it wants at times, but uh, I prefer Unity any day before using my own tech or someone else's tech because it's such a big user base and uh, you can, I mean, we can contact them for support and there's often forums and uh, community built add-ons that you can use. So it's definitely a, has saved us some pain. If something goes wrong, you can like, check resources on the sort of thing instead of just having to go through everything you've done and say, Let's see, where did I mess up this time? Yeah, yeah exactly. And, uh, of course, you do messes up, and I know a lot of workarounds for systems that sometimes fail, but uh, it, it really helps to have middleware. No doubt, no doubt. Uh, so how long did you work end up working on Chelsea? Um Let's see, it was a little bit more than a year. Um, and it was uh, delayed because at first we were just going to make it in uh, like eight months and then um, then there was no way that we were going to keep that date, which became more apparent the closer we came to the deadline, which was August 2014. Yeah. Um, so 
that's when we like um, we put the deadline six months forward, and uh, we did the blue flamingo then. Uh, so we divided up the team. So one part was working on Shelter Two, and one part was working on the blue flamingo. Mm. Uh, and indeed, what is this blue flam- flamingo game? Uh, it's a visual experiment that's a space shooter, basically, uh, because we we come and collaborated with this artist who made a eight meter long model, which was filmed and used as the the background and like hand built all the models and photographed them and used them as sprites. So um, do check it up. We've been making up on YouTube at least because it's it's pretty bloody impressive. That's good to hear. Uh, so, did Shelter Two uh, do better than Shelter One in the marketplace? Shelter Two uh, do better than Shelter One in the marketplace? Yeah. Um, it, yeah. It, initially, it I mean it, it outperformed you know Shelter One at, at launch, um, but as I, I stated earlier on, Shelter One has got some legs on it, so it's 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 doing quite well. Uh, is there any particular reason for that, or is it just the luck of the draw? I think we've gotten. I mean, we did a, a follow-up, and we did uh, the marketing close to release was very successful, and you know, people knew the brand. Uh, chickens were no doubt uh, part of it. Uh, so there's a lot of factors that. Just built on the shelter success to build shelter two. Right, and, um, and um, a couple months ago you released an expansion pack uh, uh, or a DLC uh, pack or whatever you call it. You call it now. Yeah, uh, called shelter two mountains. Right. I mean, outside of the obvious, obvious, what is this adds to shelter two experience? Uh, it adds more dangerous and more prey, basically. It's um, it's the extra area mountains and these dangers that um, somewhere in the original design and some things were, um, were elements that we, during development, said, oh, this would be so cool to have, but we don't have the production time to do it. Uh, so it was, um, yeah, things that we really wanted to add and we took some time after releasing it to uh, keep developing developing hmm. Um Can you go into detail on what uh, dangers have been added? Or is that yeah, sure. um, So there's the fox that will uh, stalk you when you have your small cubs. Uh, and it will make a run for it when it's close enough, and then you can hunt it down if, you're, uh, if your reactions are fast enough. And then it's the eagle uh, from Shelter 1, which, um, like in Shelter 1, it swoops down and takes one of your kids. Uh, but now it, it it takes some time to lift, so you can run up to it and um, uh, and kill it now. Uh, and then we have the bear, which is mostly it walks around in it, in its little turf. But if you get close enough, it will hunt you out of there. Uh, and then we introduce forest fires, uh, which work as in shelter one, but in an open world uh, adaptation. So. A fire can start when um, from lightning, and then you just have to get out of there fast, or your cabs will burn. Hmm. 
Uh, it sounds like it adds a lot to the game. Yeah, it's been really appreciated by the fans, so it's nice to hear people's feedback. Uh, indeed. And uh, can you tell us how the music of Shelter 2 was created? Well, I mean, we we worked, we were lucky to, to have found and been able to, you know, build really strong relationships with, with a number of collectives, and one of them is is this great band called Retro Family. They have made the music for every single game that we have. Um, and, and you know, it's, I think one of the, the things that makes our games really unique is, is being able to work with a live band, you know, using real-life instruments and, and because they adequately convey, you know, the sense of tension and emotion that we, we want um, from the game. So, you know, that's, that's the very essence, along with obviously the visual and the narrative of what our games are. Hmm. Yes, I, I rather like the music in the game. Very uh, fitting, very ambient. Yeah, I, I think we've got really, really good, good feedback. And I mean, we've released soundtracks as well um, for each of the games, and those, those have done quite well. So it's, it, it's something that seems to be really, really appreciated. And uh, now there's a book connected to Shelter 2, correct? Uh, Shelter 1. There is a book connected to Shelter 1, but yeah, um, there could be a book connected to Shelter 2 as well. (laughs) All right, fair enough, fair enough. But uh, what's the Shelter 1 book about? It's, It's a very, very short narrative. It was essentially a way to kind of expand on on the world and the experience, and it gave you the perspective from a little kid. Um, I think the shelter world, despite its very cute exterior, was tackled some very serious subject matter. Um, so the the book itself was aimed at kids. Um, it was supposed to be a companion piece to the game. So for kids who loved played the games, for anyone who loved and played the games they could say, listen, there is this other experience here that I could read, that I could take, and it was free. Um, And it was a simple PDF format. Um, And just told the story from a kid's perspective and tackled the circle of life. Sounds informative. It it could be, depending on how you interpret it. But it was a lot of fun to do. Hmm. Uh, now, have you ever explored bringing Shelter 1 or Shelter 2 to other platforms from the computer? I mean, we've we've definitely explored those. Um, you know, I, I think it, it all depends on if there is a willingness and an audience there. Um, we're still exploring those possibilities. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, phrase uh, in another way, do you think Shelter 1 or Shelter 2 could work on a console or a mobile device? Well, um, I think it would work on a console. I mean, both audience-wise and uh, tech-wise. Um, I think they're both too heavy to have on a pad, uh, so there would be a heavy um, optimization work to make, to make that happen. However, if we were ever, ever, you know, keen on on going down more of an interactive book, so to speak, then then maybe maybe mobile devices might be the right right avenue for that. 
Probably. Probably. Yeah, it's like, that would definitely be the first time in iPad. Yeah, definitely. Um, it, it's something we we would have to give serious thought to if we decided we wanted to, to expand on the uh, Shelter franchise. Right, I, I sort of think to my next question here. I, I don't know how much you can speak to this right now, but is there anything like else in the Shelter 2 pipeline, or is that game pretty much uh, uh, complete as far as content goes? I think with regards to, to the Shelter brand for now, um, you know, we're, we're taking in a lot of feedback from the community. It all depends on just how sales goes. It all depends on just how much interest is out there. We're open to anything, but we're working on, on tons of, of new, exciting stuff all the time. Hell, we recently released a trailer for a new, for a new title, um, Child of Cooper, today. So I, I think we don't want to stand still with Shelter, but we're not saying no either to anything. A fair assessment of the situation, especially since, indeed, you seem to be busy with new uh, IP. And yeah. Indeed. Uh, what is Child of Cooper? Child of Cooper is, and I am just going to you know, take this directly from every source material that we've we've used to communicate the the uh, the experience. It's a visually is a visual driven narrative experience. And I use the keyword experience. I mean it it's it's something that needs to be seen to be truly appreciated. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm curious. Uh, is that uh, seen as in just the eyes or you know actually playing the game? A combination of everything. You need your senses honed in and open to what Child of Cooper has to offer. Hmm. Curious. Uh, and now you built this game as a dark mystery. Uh, I don't know if you can sound on that any, but... If you I mean, we've... We, we, we've said the game, I think we've, we've been very clear about this initially, that the game is played from the perspective of a young child. Um, and, and it has a very strong theme of fragmented memory. So basically, the entire game is based on, on recollections of this, of this child in the game. But I think it's important to not think of it as a game if you start to uh, evaluate, like, does this have a win state or anything like that? But, uh, I mean, interactive experience is more suiting because there isn't any heavy mechanics, but uh, there are a few ways to interact, and, um, and the main thing about it is to piece together information about what this, what this event is and what is happening, and... Uh, what people are doing. So would this be comparable to something like uh, John Home, Peter Esther, the Stanley Parable at all? It, it, it would, if, if we were to create a Venn diagram, then yes, it would be closely aligned to those titles. Hmm. And I noticed, Taylor, that this is also coming to VR. Yes, it is. 
Now, is this something that's being built from the ground up so far, or is this uh, being ported in? Well, the, um, the decision was taken pretty recently that we did want to do it for VR. Uh, it wasn't stated when we started making it. Uh, but as we were making it, we noticed that uh, this, it would be really cool for VR, uh, especially since we have received some dev kits and tried a few demos out. We, we really wanted to get early on the VR train to release Shadow Cooper for it. Mm. All right, so we're getting low on time here. Just a couple more questions. Uh, are you concerned that the VR experience might be limiting because it's not built from the ground up? Because I recently heard like a VR game that was being ported was canceled because it's no good. Yeah, uh, I'm honestly not that uh, worried since we don't because of the. Uh, it not being a heavy mechanics game, but uh, but there are very few interactions. So I think we started building a game that we we saw suited the platform, and then from that decided to port it. So I I don't think uh, porting it will be a problem experience-wise. Right. And so what sort of Shargon is using for this game, or uh, does, does it really matter? I, I don't think it really matters, but we've we've tried most of the uh, the VR goggles that are on the market or will be on the market soon. I mean, I, I got to admit, it's kind of hard to tell. You know, got quite a few of them coming next year. And yeah, it seems like just about everyone has a VR a VR device. And that, um, that concerns me about VR because that's kind of one of the things that can sink the whole enterprise. You know, customers get confused about, you know, do I buy the Oculus Rift, the Vive, Oculus Morpheus, Gear VR, so so forth? I mean, you're, you're completely right. I mean, there is there is a need for something that's a lot more standardized um, for, for there to be more of a pickup. But, I mean, it, it, it's still early days. Nothing has actually been released yet. So we're hoping there will be some form of consolidation maybe in the market, but you know it's it's very very early. But it's still bloody exciting to know that there is this whole new, you know, platform that we can work with and, and develop games for. Yeah, a lot of people are excited for VR. I mean, I, I I'm looking forward to it. Although I'm probably not going to have like a VR set for a long time because you know, for those who don't know, it's like VR is. Uh, unless you have like a PlayStation 4, like your VR, it's going to be pretty inaccessible. Like you're going to need a lot of power to do it, and you're going to need a like the Oculus Rift is going to be like three hundred fifty dollars at the outset. So, but it's good that this uh, this technology exists and could offer us a leap that we haven't seen in a very long time. Exactly, exactly. So I think you know I I I think until we see you know, what the overall consumer reaction to it. I think let's just be excited, as you say, that that technology exists because we are. You know, we, we're like, you know, kids in, in the candy store and whenever we get the chance to try out the VR in the office. And trust me, we try it a lot and we love the experience each time. So um, I, hope, I hope, you know, a lot more people will give it a shot and, and hopefully, you know, it will, 
there will be something else we can continue to talk about and get excited about whenever a new title comes out. Indeed. And uh, finally, um, would you be willing to come back on the program when uh, City of Cooper is, like, uh, released? Child of Cooper? Yes, Sorry. definitely. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> of course, no, definitely. No, no, we're, t- we're talking about the sequel that will eventually be <laughs> Oh, of course. Good God, I knew I shouldn't have sent that email. <laughs> uh, sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> no problem. Uh, uh, still, I'm looking forward to seeing what, you, uh, what this, game, this game, this experience, whatever you want to call it, uh, shapes up to be. You know, in the meantime, there's the Shelter uh, series, and as it so happens, it's on sale on Steam right now. You can it is, it is. It's on sale on Steam on on numerous other um, online, you know, retailers, whatever whatever tickles your fancy. And and it's part of of this huge week we have ahead of us, where we have a major unveiling, so to speak, um, every day this week. So today was the trailer. Yesterday was the start of the sale. Tomorrow will be something else, Thursday and Friday. So stay tuned. All right. I'm looking forward to it. And, yeah, you can get Shelter right now for $2.49, uh, Shelter mm-hmm. 2 for $10, and the whole pack for, like, $22. That's right. All right. And uh, be sure to do so. And on a related note, we will have a full review of Shelter 2 on Sunday. Oh. Uh, and as far as tomorrow goes, we will be having Equila Caustic of Cambros Entertainment. They are the creators of Albert and Otto. I've managed to play a bit of this game. It, you know, it's really interesting and fun, but I need more time with it. It's like, we've been really busy here, so, you know, trying to get in. To get in. But anyway, uh, thank you both for being here today. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having us. No problem, no problem. And hopefully you can do this again. Yes, definitely. Have a great day, guys. Bye. All right, until tomorrow, all I can do is wish you good gaming. Thank you. You too. Have a good show. Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer a hand clapper a high fiver I kind of like the high five but if you want to hone in on those winning moves check out Chumba Casino at ChumbaCasino.com choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes there are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses so don't wait start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com no purchase necessary BGW group void prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus